0: I hope everybody's had a good week. It's good to see you here this morning. If I could title the sermon this morning, I would title it, What Do They Call You? That's a question. What do they call you? And if you think about that, what do they call you? There's many different things that we could be called. I've probably been called a lot of things that I couldn't even repeat from the pulpit. You probably have too if you've lived long enough. But I want you to imagine, you know, when somebody is thinking about you, what, what would they call you? You know, for example, maybe you're in a conversation and somebody says, yeah, what about, you know, do you know so-and-so over here? And that, they may say, yeah, I know him. He's a hothead. All right. That's that's what they would call you. You're a hothead. That means you got a bad temper and you can't control it. Or they may say something, you know, a little on the kinder side that, you know, maybe that person is humble. Maybe they're gentle. They may describe you by your profession. Do you know so-and-so? Yeah, he's a doctor. You know, so you can be called all types of things. So, the title of this sermon is is "What do they call you?" Now, if, you'll have, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts the eleventh chapter, and I want to read, starting in verse nineteen in just a second. At this point, if, you've, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, at this point in time, there's a great persecution upon the church, okay? And we've had the stoning of Stephen, if you remember that, a very brutal, nasty account in the Bible. But also a very powerful account in the Bible where the disciple Stephen is taken and he's professing Christ and he's laying truth out there. And the people that uh, were listening to him, which were religious people, religious leaders. And that's something I'll point out to you time and time and time again. A lot of times the biggest enemy of the church is not necessarily the world, it's the religious religious, uh, sect among the churches. That are that are the most damaging to the churches, the biggest enemy of the churches. So, here you have all these religious leaders, and uh, and you know Stephen is preaching, and they don't like what he's preaching. So they pick up a bunch of rocks and they throw rocks at him until he dies. It's brutal. So that scares the church, that scares the disciples, and they begin to scatter, right? Can you imagine somebody comes in here and, um, and, and maybe they take Brother Tim as Brother Tim is preaching, and as awful it is, as it is to even think about, maybe they do something like that to Brother Tim. Well, can you imagine the shock waves that it would send throughout the congregation? That we would say, oh, we don't need to go back to Bethlehem to meet. You know, we need to scatter. And maybe we would uh, scatter in the sense that we secretly start meeting in homes and and we just don't ever come back together as a body again for fear of the same thing happening to us. Well, that's what's happening at these times, a great persecution against the church. And you can read in Verse 19. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, that they should send forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came, had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So I've I've told you the title of the sermon is, What Do They Call You? Well, here's a time when you've got a massive persecution against the church. The Lord is able to strengthen men with boldness to continue wherever they had scattered to, to continue to preach and to teach and to, uh, to instruct God's people. And Saul comes to Antioch and he spends a great deal of time there, as we've read, and he teaches the people. I think it says for about a year they would assemble and Paul taught them. And because of this, all of a sudden this name pops up, this label pops up that they give these people. And the title or the name that they give them is Christians. Now, that's a very common term today, but it's interesting. You only find that word three times in the whole Bible. But we use that term a lot. Well, this is where that term started from. This is when they first said, I'm going to name you not hothead, not humble, not not a doctor, not a welder, not any of that. I'm going to call you a Christian. Now, what does the word Christian mean? Uh, we use that as a very broad stroke today. But I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what the word Christian means. The word Christian literally means a follower of Christ. Now, a lot of times uh, it is incorrectly used interchangeably with a, with a child of God. But let me say this, and I'll explain this uh, later if I don't might do a good job of it today. You can be a child of God, born again and redeemed, and not be a Christian. Amen. But you can't be a Christian... Unless you have been born a child of God. Does that make sense? Being a child of God does not make you a Christian. Being a disciple of God and following God is what makes you a Christian. Now, I was talking with with, uh, my brother and some some people the other day. And it got me thinking about this. That that I already had these thoughts and I wanted to kind of add into it. He brought the uh, the the term to me, uh, virtue signaling. Has anybody? I'd never heard that. anybody ever heard of that? Virtue signaling. He said it was a real word. I thought he was pulling my leg, but I looked it up. It's, it's a real word. It has a definition. What it, what a Christian is not is it is not necessarily how you look to the public. In the sense that virtue signaling is when you uh, go to a coffee shop and you meet your buddies and you take your Bibles and you sit your Bibles on the on the table and you sit there for an hour and you never open your Bible. All right. It is it is a uh, it's an appearance It is a display that people that you are doing. So people will look at you and say, oh, look at the virtue. Look at that Christian. Listen, Christianity is more than a T-shirt. Christianity is more than going to a coffee shop and sitting a Bible out just so people will see it. Christianity is more than getting on Facebook and putting a Bible verse on there. You see, Christianity, as we'll see here in a minute, if Christianity in its right form, Christianity costs you something. Christianity and following the Lord, it will cost you something. It doesn't cost you squat to put on a T-shirt that says something about the Lord. It doesn't cost you anything to get on Facebook and, and, and put some sort of Bible. Those things don't cost us anything, right? Christianity is bigger than that. And we want, I want to look at that in just a second. So Christianity is not just a profession. It's not just a display. If you, if you read over in... Uh, let me flip over there for you. In Matthew, the 7th chapter, just to prove my point here. This is what the Lord says about virtue signaling. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many, many will say... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name have done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you depart from me, ye ye that work iniquity. And he goes on and to elaborate what he's talking about there. He's talking about we know the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Does not always mean the eternal realm in heaven. That's another sermon for another day. The kingdom of God is wherever the Lord is ruling and reigning. And I trust that we're living in the kingdom right now. Now, people will say, oh, but I, 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 Lord, I, I don't understand what you're saying. I, I, I take my Bible to the coffee shop. Lord, I, I, I occasionally put a verse on Facebook. Lord, I've got a shirt that's got a Bible verse on the front of it. You know, I've done all those things. And the Lord says, depart from me. Because those things are not, not what Christianity is about. I'm not saying that those are bad things. I'm just saying that's not where Christianity stops. And that's not really where it even gets real. And he goes on and explains himself here. And he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of that, but you understand what I'm saying here. What the Lord is saying, it is not about an outward display that makes you a Christian. It is about a diligent obedience in following the Lord. Now, what does it mean to follow the Lord? To follow the Lord means to do the things that he instructed us to do. You know, there are people that will. You know, and, and I've been guilty of this before. We like to take our scissors to our Bible, right? We like to take our scissors to our Bible and cut out all the things that we don't really like. Because we don't want to feel that conviction. So to follow Christ is to completely follow Christ and follow him in obedience and instruction. That's what he's saying. Therefore, he, whosoever heareth these words of mine and doeth them... You take your Bible to a coffee shop and you sit it on there, but you never read it and you neglect the needs of your neighbor. Have you really followed Christ? If you put a shirt on, listen to me now, if you put a shirt on that's got a Bible verse on it, but you don't conduct your dating life in a way that would please the Lord. Have you really tapped into what being a Christian is? It's getting very quiet now. If you put a scripture on Facebook, right, but the next four posts that you put on there are whining and complaining about the traffic or what this person did to you or how this much, how how you were overcharged for something over here. Are you really following Christ? You see, this is where the rubber meets the road on being a Christian. Being a Christian is about following Christ. And yes, as I said, you can be a child of God and not be a Christian. If you turn over to John for just a second, I'll give you a picture of that. In John, the sixth chapter. Jesus begins to preach something here. And Christianity gets really hard for some folks. You know, you think about Christianity as maybe being a scale. And sometimes some point along that scale, the farther, the the more uh, intently you follow Christ, the more you follow him and the more you submit to his obedience, the more difficult being a Christian becomes. And Jesus begins to preach something here. And he says, it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing. Now, you want to see. Some children of God get steaming, foot stomping mad. Take responsibility away from the flesh when we talk about being born again. And that's what Jesus says. He says, your flesh has no profit in being born again. It's the spirit that does that work. And he says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. That's what the Lord says. He says, no man comes to me unless my father has drawn him to me. And you know what the reaction to some some of his followers and some of his disciples were? It says, from that time, many of his disciples, which the disciple also means follower of Christ, student of Christ. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You see, this was the point on that scale when people said, all right, I'm done with being a Christian. Now what happens when these people... These people that turned away from the Lord and said, I can't stomach the fact that you said it's the spirits that quickeneth and my flesh profiteth nothing. I can't stomach the fact that you're saying my good works are not a part of the equation to get me into heaven. I'm done with this. What happens when that person goes out and dies that day? They open their eyes to see their Savior in heaven. Because being a child of God... Is something that the Lord does for us, and we cannot change that. Right. But we can absolutely affect our Christianity and our discipleship. And here they chose, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. This is a, this is a vast majority of God's people today. The vast majority of God's people today say, My Christianity stops at having my Bible out at the coffee shop. My Christianity stops with me wearing my T-shirt. My Christianity stops with me putting a verse on Facebook. And that's as far as it goes. Because after that, the price gets too high to follow the Lord. Now, what is our responsibility? Let Let me talk to you just for a second about evangelism. You know, evangelism over the years really has to change and adapt to that time. Now, there are some things that are going to be constants that we always have to teach and preach. But, you know, probably 100 to 200 years ago, your evangelism didn't have to revolve as much about teaching the doctrines of grace as it does now because everybody believed it. But now our evangelism and our teaching has to change a little bit because so few people believe in the doctrines of grace. But one of the things that does not change as far as evangelism goes is pointing people to the Lord and the Lord's path and encouraging them to follow. Amen. So a lot of our evangelism is based on getting people, persuading people, winning people to follow the Lord. Right. That's a lot of what our evangelism should be. Now, let's look at a good example in Acts, the 20, 26 chapter to To persuade literally means to win over. The Bible says he that winneth souls is wise. Now that's not talking about winning people to heaven because that would contradict a lot of the Bible. But he that winneth souls meaning he that persuades somebody and wins them over from following the path of the world and turning and following the way of the Lord. Now, in Acts, the 26th chapter, and for sake of time, I'm not going to go through all this, but read it sometime about the apostle Paul and all this, this, this probably from Acts 22 to now, um, the Jews uh, take Paul and they accuse him of things. They pass him off to the Romans. The Romans pass him to the Sanhedrin or the Sadducees question him, the Pharisees question him. They hand him over to Felix, who's a governor. He sits under Felix for a while till a man named Festus comes along and Festus is the new governor and Paul is just being tossed from one person to another and nobody can really find any fault in him but there comes a point under Festus when a man named King Agrippa comes to Festus and Festus is telling him about it and King Agrippa says, I'd like to hear Paul. I'd like to hear this matter just for fun. Bring him to me and he says, okay, tomorrow we'll hear him. And this is what it says in Acts 26, 24, it says, And as he thus spake for himself, this is after Paul has given an account, basically, of a lot of things, but primarily his conversion, his, his, his new birth, his regeneration. He talks about him, his experience on the road to Damascus. And as he, Paul, thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad. Meaning insane or crazy. I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king, he's speaking about King Agrippa now. He says, for the king knoweth of these things before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. Corner, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? And Paul says, I know that thou believest. You know what I think Paul is saying there? I know the Lord has touched you. I know that the Lord has made you his child. And I know that you believe these things. But you're not a Christian. Because you're following the ways of the world. And then Agrippa says to him. Then King Agrippa said unto Paul. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He said oh Paul you came so close. In persuading me and winning me over to follow Christ. Now listen, the unregenerate, wicked, alien sinner will never follow Christ. I don't care what you do. But for those that have been touched by the Spirit of God and born again by His sovereign power, those people can be persuaded. And that's the job of a preacher and a teacher and mamas and daddies and friends is to get people following the Lord. Now, let me try to wrap this up here. I told you just a second ago I, I, I encourage you sometime to do a study on following Christ in the New Testament. All the times that He says, Follow me. All the times that people follow Him and the times that people choose not to follow Him because maybe they don't like things that He's saying. But I encourage you to do that. And what you'll find is that following the Lord, true Christianity, comes at a price. It comes at a cost. The Lord says, Take up your cross. Take up your cross and follow me. What is a cross? A cross is a read it read it sometime. It is a cruel, cruel instrument in, of of torture and death right. and you know what when they nailed Christ to the cross to the cross and he's laid, he, he's on the cross and he's he's pinned to it he's nailed to it now he could in his in his power he could get up and go somewhere, but usually when the world nails you to a cross they're saying that's as far as your're Life and ministry is going and no further. It's, now, they got a big surprise three days later. Amen. But they say this is as far as you're going and no further. You see, the cross is not meant to be taken up. It's an instrument of cruelty by the world to keep us from continuing on in Christianity. The Lord says, listen, when the world tries to pin you down and keep you from following me, it's going to be difficult, but you pick that cross up and you follow me. Now, that's going to take some effort, right? Amen. What does the Lord tell um, in, in uh, Matthew, the eighth chapter? A man comes to the Lord and he says, a certain scribe came unto him and said, Master, this is a bold statement. I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Peter kind of said the same thing. Hey, I'll follow you wherever you go, Lord. And what's the Lord immediately telling? him? It's not going to be easy. He says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. He says, I am the son of God and I have less than the fox has. So if you're going to follow me, you can expect the same. Right. Following the Lord can be difficult. Being a Christian can be difficult. And I had to ask myself as I as I studied this, is my Christian walk really all that difficult? It's really one reason it's not is because of you fine people, because I am blessed to be able to not only labor here in this church with you, but to just live with you day to day. Y'all are my friends and I get to see you and I don't receive persecution from you. But you step out of these little nooks and crannies where the Lord is blessed out into this world and they're waiting for you. They're waiting to nail you to a cross and say no more. You know what they did when they took when they took prayer out of schools? They nailed something to a cross and said no more. When they when they take God out of this and they try to take God out of that, take him out of the pledge of allegiance. That's the world's way of crucifying Christ and his Christians over and over again. But our job as Christians is to take up that cross. Sometimes taking up that cross may mean changing, changing who you hang around. It may mean changing your boyfriend, changing your girlfriend. It may mean changing your habits. It may mean changing what you, what you're, uh, what you watch on TV. It may be putting your phone. There's a million ways that we need to, to, uh, to, to pick up our cross and go. And sometimes that has a tendency to want to make us feel like we stand out a little bit and, and, and people are laughing at us. But you know what Peter says? It says, if any of you suffer as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed. It should be a crown of glory for us for somebody to see us walking through our lives with a big old nasty cross on our back that the world has tried to pin us to and moving forward and forward and forward in the kingdom of God. That ought to be a blessing to us. Easy? No. Blessing? Yes. Now, let me close here and give way to Brother Tim. I am so thankful that I don't have to rely on my own efforts and performance to find me a home in heaven. But we do have a responsibility to be a Christian and a disciple of Christ. We owe that to him. And we'll never give him enough. So I encourage you to think about your Christian walk. I'm not talking about being a child of God. I'm talking about following Christ. Are you picking up your cross and following Christ? Have you counted the cost of discipleship and pressing forward with Him? Because my goodness, this world needs it. Amen. And I, I'll tell my kids this, and I'll tell your kids if I'm around them. In in a mass of people in this world that you'll see, there are Christians out there. There, let me say, there are born again children of God out there. That maybe just don't have the courage to follow until one person stands up and says, I'll follow. And then the next thing you know, all those others find strength and will follow too. So don't let any man despise your youth in your school, in your work, wherever you are. I encourage you to be a legitimate Bible-taught Christian because we need it. I hope that's been profitable. Please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.